Welcome back to the Talking Footy Podcast. Each Wednesday across the footy season, we are talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Cameron Ling and this week our guest is Jimmy Bartell. As part of this podcast, I discuss with Jimmy growing up, his time under Bomber Thompson. I got out of the club, I got home, my phone starts ringing, it's Bomber. He'd forgotten to spray me a few things, so I was at home. He's giving me another set. I'm at home and he's giving it to me. He's making me nervous over my dinner. And his agonising retirement decision. When I'm watching them beat Hawthorne on Easter Monday and part of me is like, I think like I can still do it. Like, I want to be a part of it. I, I don't think anyone should be ashamed to say that they'd love to be playing AFL football at the MCG you know, in front of 70, 80,000 against great sides. Jimmy finished his career with one of the most complete football CVs in the history of the game. He's a proud husband and father, a new colleague of mine in the media, and I'm proud to say a great friend. We're talking footy. Welcome, Jimmy. We both grew up in the same town, the lovely Geelong. You did have a brief uh, little trip overseas for a while, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that soon. Tell us about some of those earlier days, Hernhill Primary School, St Joey's College. What was it like growing up in a footy-mad town like Geelong? Yeah, obviously, we, like you said, very similar experiences. Um, I went to Hernhill Primary, which uh, for people who don't know Geelong, it's sort of the west of Geelong, but it was around the corner from Bell Park Footy Club, which you know, eventually became my home footy club. So almost the back of the school starts, Bell Park Footy Club, and another strange thing, it's not even in Bell Park, it's, it's in North Geelong, so... Nice and confusing. It's great by Geelong, isn't it? <laughs> and then um, my mum being a school teacher, uh, it was really important for her um, to send her kids and uh, myself to what she thought was a good school. And uh, St Joe's, the old boys' school that we both went to, had a really good reputation for for young boys turning into men, you know, with the opportunities with sport and the like. And, um, Were you always a sport nut? A footy nut, a sport nut. What were? Yeah, I, I was a I was a massive sport nut, but not necessarily football. I, I played everything. I I played basketball. I used to train at Bell Park, walk over the road for basketball training for Pivot City. Yeah, <laughs> good so, old Pivot City. Pivot City. So wow. rattling off some uh, iconic Geelong sporting clubs here. <laughs> I played a lot of tennis, uh, a lot of golf, and but cricket was my first love. To be honest, I I loved playing cricket. Um, really enjoyed the hand eye sports and and things like that. So. Um, I didn't start footy till I was 11, which, you know, most kids who make AFL, they're always kickers or they play uh, from six. So it was 11 was my first season. But we'll get to, um, But anyway, back to St. Joey's. Uh, yeah, mum worked uh, three jobs at that stage to be able to afford to send myself to St. Joey's. And then lucky later on, I was one of the first winners of the Mike Fitzpatrick Scholarship, which then helped pay for schooling, which was, which was really really good um but yeah mum wanted to send me there one of my sisters went to sacred heart so that whole schooling thing and yeah it was pretty good school in the end don't you think Lee? Oh, i think it was a very good school jimmy yeah. produced some good young men of course but you talk about your family and your mum yeah. dizzy we uh we all love <laughs> dizzy but growing up with her and your sisters yeah. uh obviously a very tight-knit family you you have spoken about yeah um the the tr- the issues that you had through that time uh, with your dad, but obviously your mum and your sisters huge influences on your life. Yeah. Very caring people. Yeah, massive. I often always joke that I grew up with three mums. Uh, I was I was the youngest. Uh, my older sister was six years older, so there was a big enough gap there. And then middle sister. So I was three years between each. And yeah, it was it was tight knit, but it was it was perfect. Um, we did it pretty tough, and it was pretty hard. Like money was pretty tight. But I, I think it, I don't regret one bit of it. And um, people always say, oh, don't you wish this sort of stuff? But in a way, I don't because I think it taught me a lot of life lessons or built-in characteristics or values from my mum, which I think have held me in good stead through life. And you know, things like resilience and being grateful um, for you know, what you got and valuing everything. So um, in a way, I, I couldn't have wished for a better upbringing. That, that's a pretty positive take on given you, yeah. you did come out so strongly and, and so so bravely to talk about the, the domestic violence and that, to still have that positive take on your childhood and your growing up and the fact you wouldn't change anything, that it's obviously 
Shows how special you are, but also your mum and your sisters made it for you. Yeah, well, it's not until I've gotten older that I've come to appreciate, you know, how amazing the three women in my life were. And um, it sounds a bit corny and, and cheesy, but, you know, like I think my mum's an absolute rock star and my two older sisters and uh, they shielded myself from a lot of it. But um, like I said, the, probably the values that then they instilled in me, I, I'm forever, forever grateful. And I, th- I reckon I had a, a pretty awesome childhood. And like you're a kid of Geelong, like you know, we could go out and play in parks. You play, you know, kick on the road with your mates till you know it gets dark. Um, and there was never, like I said, my mum worked three and actually went up to four jobs at one stage. But there was never a sporting event. Um, Again, as you know, being Geelong kids, you play a lot in the country, you know, those big country things. Cricket takes you to Bendigo and Ballarat. But they're probably my fondest memories. You spend hours in the car with mum on the weekend. She was probably wrecked. The last thing she probably wanted to do after a week of work is then get in the car and drive to Warnable or whatever. But um, I think it gave me a fine appreciation of bad music, listening to mum's <laughs> music. But what, what was her music? She was very – Gold FM was on a lot. Like you, I, I know a lot of the, the classics but not so much <laughs> – so much in the modern music, but that was my bonding and special time with Mama. They're some of my favourite memories. Did did and I, I don't want to sort of concentrate no. too much on this, but obviously you, you did come out and talk about what you went through with your dad and what all your, your whole family went through. Did your mum ever talk about it with you then, or was it just something now that as you've got older, you've been able to yeah. talk more openly about together? Yeah, the typical fashion. Um, as you probably know me for years as my family, you don't tend to talk about that sort of stuff. And my mum was big on that never never act like or portray being the victim. Um, you know, you're stronger than that. Um, learn from it and, and get better. But I don't think we really got into much detail about it until I probably realised something was a bit amiss and wrong. And I think it took me to about, I reckon I was about 15, to really understand, well, um, that's not right and that's not correct behaviours to put it pretty in a simple form and then as got older and like I matured and you understand the world a bit better you start to ask a few more questions but it still wasn't something as a family that we really spoke about until 18 months ago when I I came to you know I needed uh, my mum and two sisters blessings of course and it was almost like a big therapy session for the four of us and we probably learnt a lot about each other in um, a pretty tough way. Like, what was I last year? It was 32, 33, and really finding out about the first time, and you know, some things that went on that you, you know, each of us had all buried individually and never spoke about, and um, it felt like a bit of a weight off the shoulders, to be honest. Were you surprised by the reaction publicly? I mean, there was a lot of love and support coming yeah. in your direction. Some, some not so much. Yeah. You know, surprisingly, I couldn't believe it, but. Were you surprised by generally the the overwhelming support and the number of people who said thanks for talking yeah. about this? Yeah, I was and still am blown away a bit, Lingy, by what, yeah, one, the support and um, how understanding and caring people were. But the other was more in a saddening point of view is how many people related to it. And I still get today and um, it, was a, it was kind of a strange story. I remember being... After the races, spring carnival, everyone's having a few beers, and this enormous guy is looking at me across the bar, and he keeps staring at me. And I've gone, well, I haven't bumped into him, or I haven't done anything. I'm, I'm sure I didn't spill his beer. He's come striding over, and you know, had a mean look on his face, and he goes, "Hey, I can relate to your story. Thanks for telling it." And I was, I was blown away. And he goes, "Can I buy you a beer?" And I said, "Oh, you don't have to buy me a beer." One, I'm scared of you because you're, <laughs> you're six foot five and enormous. But uh, no, we just had a good bit of chat. But like little stories like that. But um, and you're right, there are some people who uh, probably took a negative take on it, but they were few and far between, and um, a lot of them were pretty cowardly in how they objected their disapproval with anonymous letters. And but I haven't had anyone object to me publicly to my face. No, it's. Uh... Not surprising, Jim, given uh, some of those people are pretty much cowards, aren't they? Yeah, correct, correct. To move on from that, sort of through that, you mentioned 15 and 16, 17 years of age. Tough years for uh, for anyone. It's where you're not sure what you're going to do. You're awkward 
teenage years and yeah. you're starting to notice a few more girls and everything yeah. like that. But through that time, you were a very good sports person and you mentioned cricket but also football, highly talented. The build-up to the draft, the, you, were, you were dominating the Falcons, everything like that. What are some of the memories of your, your junior years there? I mean, before footy got too yeah. overly serious, it, was it just a love for the game? Was it a, did you always know you were going to be something yeah. special? Um, no, not really. I, it, people would find it hard to believe, but getting drafted was not never really a dream until nearly I was on, on the verge of the draft. I just I loved playing footy and I loved being around friends and I enjoyed the competitive nature and just the game. I, um, at one stage, and again, you would have been the same, it was... You'd play midweek first 18 for St Joey's on a Wednesday. You'd have Falcons, John Falcons Cup training. Then you'd go train at Bell Park. Then you'd play like for Saturday at Bell Park. And then Sunday, remember the Don Cole Cup? So yes. people were unaware of the Don Cole Cup. It's the GFL, John Football League plays the Ballerine Football League and plays um, the GDFL, the John District Football League, on a rotating basis. So you're playing three games of footy plus your school footy. Uh, if you're three games of footy plus you're having a kick at lunchtime. Wouldn't you love to be able to pull up that well again? After, oh, you could play and the next day you could just do it again. I was exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and remember they also had, if you're lucky enough to um, make the the state squad, you'd play three games in a week. <laughs> so, so you could have a patch in the middle of the year where you play about 10 games in about 13 days. You'd play three games in a week with basically every single club's recruiter yeah. and coach there watching you. Oh, geez, he looks tired in the last quarter. <laughs> I wonder I've played 20 quarters in the last three days. This is game number 70 yeah, for the year. That's it. But um, I loved it. I just love playing footy. I love playing all sport, as I said. But um, And being – it was kind of funny being a kid who was born in December. Yeah, you're always 12 months behind. And so then you – my first year for the Geelong Falcons, I could never get drafted because of the age thing. So it was just play footy. So I was playing with a guy who was a pretty good player and turned out to be Luke Hodge. Yeah, solid. He, he's been a solid player, hasn't he? <laughs> who were some of the guys? It was Hodgie. So Hodgie and I were both 16, played uh, in the under-18 Falcons and we won the premiership, with, which, which wasn't classified as a sexy side, but we won the premiership. Amon Buchanan yep. kicked 10 in a semi-final. Andrew Seagate, who went out to be a rookie list player. Uh, Frio, Frio. That's right. and Sam Hunt, who went to uh, Essendon, yep. and then eventually to Geelong. Um, Little Gaz, that was the... So the following year was the star-studded side that we should have romped home. Called to beat us in a prelim, but Luke Hodge was told to sit out because I think he was going to go number one already at that stage. But we had a, like a huge amount get drafted out of that side. Nick Maxwell was in that, Gazza, Brent Maloney, Tim Callan, Joel Reynolds... And you got beaten by Calder, which would have been James Kelly, Kelly. Dane Swan. Yeah, um, I hope I don't leave any man. Andrew Welsh. Andrew Welsh was in that side. I think they were forty something points up at half time, and then with about ten minutes to go in the third, we had a shot to go in front, and we we missed it. And then, yeah, Jeez, some fairly, fairly good names uh, from that. Well, it was part game of, that, of footy. Well, it was part of that sort of as they call it the super draft. Like if Swan's going as deep as he did in the draft, it's unbelievable. Now let's get one thing right, though, yes. Jim. Nineteen ninety nine was the super draft. Okay, two thousand and one no. was just a bunch of hacks running around. I've never heard of a Hodge and a Judd and a Ball and a well, the fact that Bartel you and a... well, the fact that what, what number did you go again? Forty uh, thirty eight. Thirty eight. Sorry, I didn't yeah, know. Don't, don't push too far. Down and what right. number did Corey Enright go? I think he was forty four, forty five. Yeah. Well, that just proves it. The fact that you two eggs went. That, that late in the draft, it was unbelievable. That was the uh, famous draft. Sorry for uh, Richmond supporters listening to this one. Oh, the one, Fiora. But, uh, took Aaron Fiora ahead of Matthew Have. Pavlich. Uh, sorry for bringing that one. You're not <laughs> sorry at all. <laughs> yeah. I, my memories of you playing for the Falcons were this kid I'd obviously known um, very well through school and, uh, and was friends with even though you were at a younger age group. But wearing the helmet, yeah, had the stack hat on. Yeah, I did have the old stacky on. Was that your mum's instructions yeah. or your no, your choice? No, no, like a lot's been made of it. And uh, people who know my my mum Diane, her nickname amongst my mates was Deadly. She, um, 
she's still got a wicked stare. So we all, uh, myself, my sisters tend to send um, well, her grandkids down because she can straighten a kid up with a <laughs> straight look in the eye. She's got this wicked stare. But obviously mum concerned about my health. Um, I received some pretty bad concussions as a kid. Um, one really bad one, which um, yeah, junior footy, you know, country footy, normally whoever's forward line in has to throw the ball in. Remember that? Yep. So often they line up where they're going to throw it for goals and pretty much almost throw it to the goal mouth. And I was at the back of the ruck when charging the wet day, dove on the football to stop it being kicked through, but the ball actually went underneath me. But where the ball was, the opposition player's going to kick the footy off the ground and pretty much kicked my head through for a goal, yeah. um, which was unfortunately not a goal for them, but it left me with pretty bad concussion at uh, 15. And like for a week, I had pretty bad headaches. And obviously the natural thing is when someone gets a, a football boot blows, chuck the helmet on. And mum was pretty keen on that. And she goes, I, I just can't watch you play like that anymore. And um, so she was big on me wearing the helmet. I wore it for the next two years, but then my top age, Tat cut footy, I, I took it off and um, yeah, it was, it was all fine. Just to quickly fast forward, just while you're on the point of concussion, you such a brave player, such a contested player, plenty of head knocks. Yeah. Are you worried at all? Are you, you know, you, you hear the stories of yeah. the NFL players and, yeah. and the brain. Um... I, I do follow that closely, obviously, naturally, because I have received a number of concussions. And the thing is, though, I, I have a lot of trust in. Um, especially two doctors at Geelong Football Club who I consider them friends as well. Um, and they have my best interest as a friend and obviously medical experts and in Dr. Jeff Allen and Dr. Chris Bradshaw. And you, anyone who asks across the Geelong, uh, across the Australian sporting industry, they're two highly respected guys. And I put a lot of faith in them. And so the fact that I was able to have open conversations, they had my best interest at heart. Look at... Um, I get I get nervous occasionally. Just I, I mean I didn't get knocked out as much as you, and and I, Ron, mm. I, I agree with you. With we were in great hands, we're, yeah. we're in the best hands. But you you, you start you read the oh, yeah. sorry watch the movie Concussion and yeah. you read the stories about the NFL players. I, I get nervous occasionally. Yeah, I, I look I I do, but I have a bit of the the mindset, and people can shout me down for it. But would I you know the old question? Oh, would you? played if you knew they were the results. And in my mind, I'd go back and do it all again. Because for me, I'd, I'd rather have had the, I'd rather have had a go and tried and this is the result than never actually put myself in the ring to try, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, so, so that's always been a bit of my thinking and call it taking driver off the tee and solving problems later <laughs> as, a, as an analogy. That, that's how I tend to tend to think of it you can hit a pretty good driver off the team yeah. Jim I've seen a few long balls uh... I don't know whether you can get on this and I'm turning this interview on me I and it's not because you're here but I do have a lot to thank to you for getting me drafted to Geelong so I don't know whether you're going to bring that oh, up oh please or... tell I was yeah. about to move on to the draft so I'm uh, happily go because you're a good St Joseph's boy and you went and played for the school and um, you actually had a halo over the top of your head <laughs> when you left St Joey's and I came from the western suburbs of Geelong, Bell Park, Northwest, which some unsavoury types <laughs> who tend to hang around there and a bit rough around the edges, but they're all good fellas. There was a bit of a reputation of myself and a few of my friendship circle that we like to have too much of a good time. And did you or did you not? I'm not get to ask one question. Yes, please ask. Because people have asked me about this. Did you get asked by the Geelong recruiting whether we should take this kid from Bell Park? I, I got asked as to whether or not I'd heard much about you and knew you as a person and whether or not uh, a, not a, not a straight out, do we take him or not take him, yeah. but very much. You're a character witness. My, yes, my <laughs> thoughts on you, Jim. And um, I'm very happy to say I gave a rather glowing <laughs> reference and you more than backed that up. Uh, you know, when you don't want to, you don't want to give a reference to someone and they let you down. Yeah. Um, you didn't. You never let me down. Wanting Bartel, Bartel, clever, brilliant, unbelievable. Actually, they're in front. Jimmy with a bit of magic. <laughs> well, my time with you at the school yeah. was very positive. On well, let's talk about those early years yes. <laughs> um, of Geelong, and um, let's not get us either of us in too much trouble here. Well, it's but... a bit late now. They can't delist us anymore. <laughs> <I think. laughs> it, it was that. 
it was the crossover period yeah. of VFL, AFL football. I don't mean that as in it was yeah. it had been AFL football for a long time. But it was still a time where you'd play a game and basically the entire list would go out and have a beer together yeah. and it was less professional than it is now. Well, well it's not 24-7. It wasn't 24-7. It was the hours that you clocked on at the club and game day and then the hours after, which I think... <laughs> the hours after were fun. <laughs> they were a lot of fun. I, I put them down to what built the Geelong era. It was the after hours, that team spirit and <laughs> unity. Not that I'm encouraging... Well, look, we used to just sit around and have a few cups of tea and play cards and tuck ourselves in the bed. It's funny, though. There's still a place, and, and I'm going to say this because I, I know we yeah. experienced it, is young men having a good time together where you protect, you looked after each other and made sure no one was being really stupid. There was, there was I, I, I never saw a drug. Mm. I, I still no. haven't seen oh, a drug. So. so it was having a beer, which mm. I know can get out of hand, but... It was done in the right way, in a very social way, and it and it did build some strong relationships, didn't it? Yeah, I completely agree that it, if we came in, you know, seventeen, eighteen, and you were two years older than me, so a majority of our list were, you know, from Gary and I being, you know, just turning eighteen to your group who were twenty, twenty one. There was probably out of a list of forty, there was probably nearly thirty of us were in that age bracket, and at some stage you've got to, we got trusted to actually be adults. And enjoy each other's company, get to know each other. We we get pulled from all across Australia, and now you see even overseas. Look, Corey Enright, as we spoke on, is 500 k's west of Adelaide. There's nothing there apart from a galah, isn't there? That giant galah, yeah. beautiful downtown Kimber, downtown Kimber. And yeah, guys like Joel Corey from Perth. How, how are you supposed to socialise and find common ground and build that trust, um, which then coaching staff and people ask you that then have that trust on the field. You can't. Fake that or manufacture that if you don't get to know yeah, each if you other. Don't get to and know whether that's you. over having a game of golf or having a surf or yeah, exactly. socializing. So, yeah. when um, well, I was more looking at your heels because you're always so far in front in the running drills, <laughs> but when you look across and it's 40 degrees in November, and you know, you're going to be come on, mate, we're going to push harder for one more effort. I'm going to do it because out of the respect of the friendship as well as the you know, the teammateship as well. I, I, I will put my hand up and say that. Jimmy used to uh, live in Geelong and I was living down in Torquay for a little <laughs> while. I, I'll say thank you to you now. The fact <laughs> I used to crash at your house many, many times throughout the season. I, I will apologise. How many times do you reckon I actually stole your bed and forced uh, you to sleep on the couch? Many times. I'm a good sleeper. So I, <laughs> as a few of the other guys know, I can sleep upright in a recliner, so I'm all right. But you left a lot of family-sized pizzas behind <laughs> from Kidinia Cafe. But... That was the indicator, wasn't it, that you knew that your bed was taken if yeah. there was a pizza, pizza box. Pizza <laughs> out the bed. But, uh, yeah, the, old, uh, the old genius academy, as myself and Shannon Burns <laughs> called it, where we lived. A lot of players lived at that place in Queen's Park Road. <laughs> That's a good place. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> we, we, did, we did have some good time, but we, we had a great coach, yeah. uh, Mark Thompson, who with Brendan McCartney and Ken Hinckley and Brenton Sanderson and these types of people – and then eventually Nigel Lappin. We were being taught the right way to play footy too. I you know, have a bit of fun. We, we did socialise and everything like that. But we were working flat out and getting taught by one of the great coaches in AFL, great development type coaches in AFL, weren't we? Yeah, and you touched on the other names who all of them turned out to be senior AFL coaches and you know, Lee Tudor, Lurker as well, who's been a probably senior assistant for his whole life. Um, and you're right, and you'd almost hear the amount of times Bomber would say at training, if we lose one or two at training, so be it. Like, you know, it almost sounds like cultish for the greater good, like, <laughs> that sort of stuff. But it was contested footy. It was playing one-on-one -on -one and winning one-on-ones, and then your game is built off that. So when it's time to defend, you defend first. When you attack, we all attack together. And it sounds so simple, but the way they tore that and – put each individual's game built around that was incredible and I reckon early we took some losses but we're playing the style of football that eventually once we got to September action that was the style of football was going to stand up and Bomber was so steadfast on that wasn't he? Bomber he was big on and Bomber was a just a brilliant development coach as I said and was going to teach each player mm. the right way to play 
But he could also balance between a relationship with players and, and maybe not so much a cuddle. He wasn't yeah. a cuddler type, but he could support a player and back a player up. But he could be ruthless too, couldn't he? He, oh, he had yeah. that hard edge. How many <laughs> any little uh, incidents where he well, let well, loose on you, Jimmy? Oh, there was, there was plenty let loose on me. Before I get, get to that, which <laughs> when we touch on the assistant coaches, I think he was very good too at letting the – giving the assistant coaches ownership. So he had it, essentially there was a bit of bomberism touch point with each of them. So like, like I know you and I got along really well with Kenny Hinckley. Look, you know, Kenny, you, you and Kenny and Macker as well for you. And I knew Kenny from when I was a kid. He coached at Bell Park, my local club. So he knew how to talk to me and, and manage me. Different guys could get on with Sando really well. So he always had like sort of the tentacles out with the assistant coaches and then he'd sort of oversee that. So he was very good at giving them ownership. But, oh, a couple of the brilliant bomber sprays. Um, I think I was the only player, captain's run for people, is uh, well, the last training session before you play a game. Fairly light sort of run. It's as light as it gets. And um, the side's picked. I actually got dropped from a captain's run. And I put it down to the fact that he still hadn't picked the side. You trained your way out of the I side. trained my way out of a captain's run. Which is a jog and a kick and a handball. Yeah, supposedly. So I came into the in the meeting and because I was a very sleepy character in the meeting rooms and I and people would know we all have our same seats and I was as far down the back corner as possible in the dark. I walked past all you guys because, yeah, you got to get through the small meeting room, sat down and he's looked at the magnet board and he's looked at my magnet, turned around and goes, oh, well, you're out. You just trained yourself out of the side. <laughs> I went, oh, are you kidding me? He goes, yeah, go find Ronnie Watt, who's our VFL coach. Go find Ronnie. I went, what now? He goes, yeah, get out of my sight. Sent you out of the meeting. So I had to stand up. It was that really awkward while all you guys like, watch like, oh, God, what's happened here? I went and found Ronnie in the VFL meeting room. He was preparing. He said, what are you doing? I go, well, I'm playing with you. And he goes, what? Okay, I, I just trained my way out of the, out the senior side. I was 18. I didn't know what it hit me. But... Oh, and that's whereas other players, you're just trying not to meet Bomber's eyes and just trying to hide, please don't pick on me now. Shannon Burns was the stupidest of the lot. He used to he used to sit in the very front row and Bomber used to pick on him and then one day, because Burnsy had nerve up. He'd get flustered. Flustered was the best word for Burnsy. And then, because Bomber would ask him, oh, what are we doing in this situation? He'd be, and then one day he answered correctly. And he goes, oh, well, you're no longer fun, Burnsy. <laughs> he was picking on him for two years straight. He, it, it was – now I look back because at the time all you do is just squirm in your chair and yeah. hope that he's not coming to you. But now I look back, he was smart in meetings, Bomber. Yeah. When he felt the meeting was going too long and he, maybe he was losing a few, mm. he'd ask Brad Ops yeah, who's a question. <laughs> and Otto would never have a clue what was going on and probably just woken up. Yeah, Otto was classic Ruckman. And, <laughs> And everyone would start laughing yeah. and then they'd bring everyone back yeah. to attention. Yeah. Smart. Very, Very smart. smart. Yeah. But uh, probably an, another one was, um, which you probably remember, <laughs> we're doing like a full ground drill. I think I missed one or two kicks and then he started chasing me around the ground. <laughs> so I'd get the ball from a switch kick and I'd look up and he was like up on the mark. I'm going, what's going on here? And then he called us all in and he's like, oh, really well done, guys. And he you know, talking nice and softly and, uh, you know, look, we're just going to do one more drill. It's going to be kick mark. I only want you going 60%. But, Jimmy, you can go 120% because you've been doing F all. <laughs> and everyone's, like, sniggering and off. And I wasn't one to get right. I just go, oh, no, like, what's happened here? And then to make it even worse, I, I got out of the club. I got home. My phone starts ringing. It's bomber. He'd forgotten to spray me a few things. So I was at home. <laughs> he's giving me another serve. I'm, going, I'm at home. And he's giving it to me. He's making me nervous over my dinner. It, it's funny that like you hear stories like that and you think, you'd hate the bloke. But are you like me that you look back and you think, I'm so thankful for him having challenged and driven the best out of me and allowed me and us to achieve our dreams? Yeah, well, he, he taught a pretty valuable lesson to... Not to take the game for granted. Um, I think you learnt very early that the old adage, which you know, stay with me throughout my forty years. You know, don't count, count your games, make your games count. And that even went to training. Like come, come to training with a bit of purpose. And look, we've had some pretty rare individuals, personality-wise, that we've played with Lingy. And but that was fine. But as long as 
while you're doing the, you know, you're at the club and we're all together as a team, let's just hammer out the team stuff and you can be whoever you want outside of that. Sunday, join us for Game Day. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our 10th season of Game Day. Hosted by Hamish McLaughlin, every Sunday at 10am on the channels of 7. She caught up exclusively with Rui this morning. They're pretty confident as well that structurally it's OK. Christian Petrarca's in love with Christian Petrarca. <laughs> it's where all of footy's big names come to play. Tell us about the the special time, the 2007 to 2011 type period where... Finally, we got it. We understood it. We'd been together long enough. We'd trained up enough. And we, we started to have that belief that we could not only match it with the best, but we could be the best. What? How, how did you see that time? How were you thinking and feeling at that time? Oh, incredible confidence in um, everybody at the club. So, like, I had confidence from, obviously, the coaching staff and what we were trying to put out there was the right way to play, as we said. But then knowing like teammates around me, like there's no such thing as a hard time with these guys, like, and they actually relish the hard time. And you know, you only have to look at the names and the characters, and like Paul Chapman, you know, Stevie Johnson, Gazza, Joel Corey, who gets un- undersold, and um, you know, people get absolutely wowed by someone taking running bounces and that. But Dave Wojcicki used to do that 15, 16 times a game. Tom Harley is a key defender, intercepting. I'm just talking about guys apart from the, like some superstars like Scarlett and Enright. Um, I knew every time I looked over to you, <laughs> you were just going to be like smothering the best midfielder in the holding, game. Holding onto the jumper of someone. Look, it, it was legal, it was legal. <laughs> but I, I just had complete faith that they'll do anything to win. Like, And it was... It's a pretty special environment to be around. And I think that goes to the fact that remember when we all got drafted and Wellesley and Cookie were bigger. Obviously, talent mattered, but they were big on... It wasn't necessarily as we fall in the trap nowadays with, about the athlete. It was football IQ and skills and character. And I only... For people, the drill which everyone hates, and now there's a lot of ex of our players, their assistant coaches, they've gone and taken to every other club. And they all hate it. <laughs> Remember the drill, pig dog. Yes. So for people, that's probably what are you calling it? Five, six meters by. Oh, maybe a touch bigger, ten meters by. Ten or twelve meters by. Thirty meters. Yeah. Rectangle. So, yeah, small rectangle. But you got seven pairs in there, probably at yeah. most. Maybe sometimes more. So about fourteen to sixteen players, and just the fact that if I was defending you, um, I wasn't allowed to touch the ball, but. The coach is just putting the pressure on. You weren't allowed to touch the ball as a defender, but you could practically do everything else I, you I, wanted to. I could pretty much try and bash you if yeah. I wanted to, yeah. as long as I didn't tackle you to ground. But mean, meanwhile, all your teammates are trying to smash me. <laughs> so it turned into a little mini WrestleMania. But the fact that guys got, and it was 30 seconds your go, 30, and we just kept doing it, switching back and forth. Most tiring, physically exhausting thing to do ever. Um, but guys nearly came to blows because it meant so much to them how competitive, like, it really got under their skin that even in a game like that, their man had the ball. Joel, yeah. Joel Corey, one of the quietest, nicest oh, blokes in the world, used so to angry. try and punch you. Dave Wojcicki, yeah. oh, he'd square up <laughs> like the Dukes and if he didn't laugh, if you laughed, it made it worse, but he'd want to square up. And- 07, 2007, yeah. two moments, one the highest individual yes. glory you can get, dream, accolade. Then the 44-year drought's broken. Uh, what's that, five days later? Yeah. Those two moments for you, Brownlow medalist and a premiership player. <laughs> what's going through your head there? <laughs> um, if people find it hard to believe, though, but I, I didn't, at the time I didn't give the Brownlow much thought. I was just so focused on our game on the weekend and... You know, as I referred to, I'd worked so hard with you guys, not only for that season, but, you know, the five-odd years we'd gone through and, you know, the tough 2006 and there was just so much just building up to it and I knew we were good enough. I just I couldn't wait for um, Saturday to roll around because, you know, people 
We'd nearly blown it in the prelim, hadn't we? I mean, Collingwood were very good. but oh, it was in, in, in the bag. <laughs> oh, yeah. is, that, is that what you were thinking? Oh, I, I had the ball at the end. It was pretty cycling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just praying for that siren. Gee, We've got 13 seconds. seconds left. They could have taken a mark there for the catch, but Bartell came over the top of his own player. Throw in Ottens and Brian at the back, Ling and Rook. Here oh. goes Dynak. Left foot snapper in the body. It's bouncing outside 50. Four seconds up. The clock starts when he leaves the umpire's hands. I just knew that, um, like, we'd deliver, you know, and people wanted to talk about past grand final experiences, John, but, yeah, but none of us could have done anything about that and none of those players could help us now. So it was just us 22 against Port's best 22 and I had full belief in that we'd be able to beat Port's best 22. 30 minutes gone. Been very modest too. They've had the game won since uh, one minute into the third quarter. Have you been able to yet, you've only briefly been retired, reflect back on the Brownlow though and something you're I, unbelievably proud of? I, I started, I've started to look back on it now as, you, as you're saying now that I'm retired a lot more fondly and it's more, I still feel pretty embarrassed and I felt embarrassed on the night because when you go to the Brownlow they always do these montages of former winners and that night they were doing it like Mark Rusciuto and Simon Black. So, you know, guys who were still playing against, but guys who, when I was in my teenage years, watching dominate, and then I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to be associated with those blokes. Like that, you know, you you hold them in such high esteem, and um, you you spend your whole career emulating and watching and going, geez, how can I be as close to them? So um, I'm incredibly, incredibly honoured and thrilled. But players aren't lying when they get up there, and you go, you can't do that without your teammates, like. I'm surrounded by yourself taking the best opposition midfielder, and this was our starting midfield. Joel Corey and Gasman, the three of us all still talk about where the ABC, sorry, Al didn't fit into that like little <laughs> thing too well, Lingy. And we made Otto and Kingy look good. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely no, true. <laughs> no, but because um, we I was around those guys, and we had a young punk who was pretty good in Joel Selwood who, who came in and played all right. For had a solid career. Yeah, yeah. and so... And we had nine All-Australians that year. So, you know, it was the biggest, I guess, uh, call it approval for that saying that if you play well as a team, all the individuals succeed as well. So um, I, I sort of look upon the Brownlow as, like you said, just an incredible year for the club. I think we won everything apart from the Coleman. We won the VFL, you know, Tom Lonigan, everything. I declare the winner of the 2007 Brownlow medal to James Bartel for Geelong Football Club. You'd certainly belong in that company, Jim. You're a good man for saying that, but you certainly belong alongside those names. I'm going to I'm going to have to skip through some of those. I'd love to sit here and talk all yeah. day about the um, 09 and 11. Briefly, yeah. briefly, just to go down a moment. Yeah. 2008. Yeah. Best team all year, lost one game for the year. We simply did not deliver yep. on the day, on the big stage against a Hawthorne team who played absolutely at their absolute best and, and deserved the win. But it was a horrible feeling, wasn't it? Oh, it's a terrible feeling. And uh, people go, oh, you know, then, you know, obviously off the back of that, we went on that winning streak against Hawthorne, but nothing will ever make up for losing 2008. But... What 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 are your record? What went wrong? What I uh, I I put it down actually. Hawthorne. When I've gone back and thought about it a fair bit. Hawthorne were the best side through September. You have a look at their finals footy. They were at the peak of their game, and I thought we were just going as a collective. Um, I think the doggies final where we just got over the line. The Bulldogs were a better side on that night, and I think we just managed to scrape through on just a bit of luck and a 
pure ability in some isolated positions. I, I think we're pretty down as a whole. And I think we learned the hard lesson, which all sides do now, that you just can't go into finals or any games of football now with players underdone. I reckon we had probably quite a number who weren't fully match fit. And obviously, they're going to put their hand up after the season we had and the chance to go back to back. But the best thing I think we did as a club, we learnt from it. And I think a lot of 09 wouldn't have happened if 08, the way we lost in 08. I think we probably would have tried to float through 09 and we probably would have copped that lesson in 09. Three-time Premiership player, Norm Smith medalist, Brownlee medalist, All-Australian, every, everything like that. I'm going to fast forward quickly to the end yeah. of the career before I get to what you're up to these days, Jim. Finishing up w- would have been difficult because any it is for any person and it's someone as competitive as yourself still when your mind says, nah, I can, I can do this. You did have a contract there, yeah. a, a year there. Your decision to finish... How's it sit with you now? Uh, look, this is going to be the most difficult year because, like you've said, I, I did have another year and I, I think I was still capable of playing. And then um, and before the next point, I'm still the... I'm actually going to be accused of being too biased for Geelong in the media. I'm, I'm a massive Cats fan and um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But when I'm watching them beat Hawthorne on Easter Monday and part of me is like, I think like I can still do it, like I want to be a part of it. And I, I don't think anyone should be ashamed to say that they'd love to be playing AFL football at the MCG, you know, in front of 70, 80,000 against great sides. And look, I think even you might even agree to that a bit, but even when we're 50 and 60, if we were physically capable and someone offered us to play a game of AFL football, You'd we'd do, put, we'd do our hand up. So I don't, I don't get where people would get, um, think I'm being negative in admitting that I'd love to be playing AFL football. It's every kid's dream and every supporter sitting in the stand's dream. The, the moment where you said instead of taking that year option and finishing up, hmm. what what tipped you the retirement way? Uh, there's a bit of both. It's probably clear that um, the club wanted to move in a different direction, um, even so during the year where I went from playing higher up to the ground to playing deeper, um, and they wanted to play other people. And look, it's an incredibly tough role to be in, like um, list management, match committee and the coaches and whoever's involved. And um, I have total respect for that. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with it 100%, but it doesn't mean I hold any grudges either. That's just just the way footy goes. So relationship-wise, now anyone who says that, yeah, I'll happily just walk away and I'm, I'm all good, I'm cherry ripe, just kidding themselves. That, that's not in, it's not in a competitive sports well, person. Well, you, you, don't, you don't play for 15 years by giving up. So relationship-wise, those people who made that decision, how is it? Well, I was never super close with a lot of them anyway. Like it's not like I went around for dinners and all that's ended. I had a very respectful relationship. We talk friendly all the time and we see each other. It's high how it's going. It's, it's, as you know, you're not best mates with everybody that you played football or you're associated with but I think you have a healthy respect for, for everyone and the job they've got to do well it's the job they've got to do like there's going to be AFL rules say that you've got to cut three people off your list every year <laughs> so you're going to have to you know and there's a salary cap there's a salary cap there's trade restrictions there's all sorts of things You've moved on now to a few things. Oh, yeah, a lot of things, yeah. Working, obviously, I'm happy to say, alongside me with Channel yes. 7 and 3OW, we get to spend a bit of time together. They've separated us, though, much like yeah. they did in the days at Geelong Footy Club. <laughs> they separated In those early days, yeah. yes. Yes, no, yeah. maybe they're smart. But you're doing some media work, radio and television. You're also doing some corporate work yep. with Blades. Yep, that's part of it, yep. Um, and... A few other things, obviously, mm-hmm. and some ambassadorial type roles, and um, obviously some of the stuff we touched on before around White Ribbon um, yep. Foundation and, and domestic violence. Are you enjoying it? You, what's yeah. it, it's a big <laughs> shift from playing it playing is. footy to now what you're doing. What's your initial thoughts on it? Oh, look, my initial thoughts are uh, I'm still looking for some. I'm getting a competitive um, edge with the corporate stuff, but I I'm trying to find something. 
I've even I have to admit I've googled what sports can you make at the Olympics when you're 40. <laughs> What'd you find? Not much. Really? Maybe, maybe hopefully they bring in Sudoku or something like that. <laughs> but it's just the natural competitive nature. So, um, but no, I'm flat out, which is good. I'm a person who likes to be busy, like yourself. You know, idle time's not great for you and I. Is it linging our minds spin too much? So, uh, busy across media, corporate X-Blades. I'm also a director at a headhunting. Um, and recruitment firm in the city so i'm in there three to four days a week and then um i think we've become rival schools i've just started work at caulfield grammar oh hang yeah, on yeah, i so, didn't know that yeah so trying to just help them across the sports program not just footy um just put a few things in place there so my, I, my time is busy but most importantly i still make time for the the little man yes aston. is that where aston might end up caulfield grammar he's got to go to st joey's how is Nadia Aston? How's being a dad? I love being a dad, as you do. I, I think it's when all your mates, you know, start having kids and you hear the line, oh, it's the best thing you ever do and all that, you're like, oh, yeah, nice cliche. <laughs> <laughs> but the second they come out and they're horrendously ugly and covered in, in stuff, you just go, oh, I love this little little thing so much. And your whole day and your whole thinking is like, oh, what's he doing? Can't wait to get home. What are we doing this week? And you just whole entire life and thinking changes. How are you finding that balance of you are flat out and you, as you said, you you are the personality that's got mm. to keep busy, mm. still getting enough time with Aston and Nadia? All of my decisions are driven by him first. So a bit of it is I'm working so hard so then I can provide for him. And then um, also if there's not even close to a line ball, like I'd give up, I'd give up work things or people ask us oh no it's me and clown hands is time to to play together <laughs> before i get to some just firing some quick yes. questions at you one more where to what what if you if you look 12 months maybe even 18 months 24 months into the future are you back in footy are you back in a football club i mean yeah, what's what's the role for you where do you see the future yeah it's Great question. I, I reckon I battled with that question for the last two to three years of actually my playing career. You know, as you start to know the end is close and you transition out. And I don't know how you found this, but whether you weigh, it's weighing up whether you sort of ride the crest of your playing career through to club land, you know, while you're still fresh and that, or you step away and get some learnings outside in corporate and even media where you're sitting on the other side of the fence and you're just away from it and you experience, you know, what what the goings on are at different clubs and I reckon I've battled with that for quite a while and I think what I've done is by stepping away from Geelong I had 15 years I hope I did listen to one meeting or two um, and just picking the brains of different people in footy look I'd love to get back into footy coaching is is not something that drives me I, I love mentoring and talking individually with players but being a coach is something I've never had a passion for I think you've got to have a real passion to coach because I haven't worked out whether they're mad to start with or the coaching sins are mad Sends them, they're probably mad to start with, but sends them even yeah, battier. Yeah, they go a little bit crazy. But So you're talking sort of more football administration? I, I do enjoy sitting in the background. I, I like building teams, putting them in place and giving them everything and um, you know, helping build from behind the scenes. So I'm like you, a bit of American sports junkie. I, I love I love, and how that translates, Dave. I love list management, recruitment, football manager, and then... Even the corporate side of it, building up to a, like a CEO of a club would be something I'd be really interested in. I think you'd do a good job of that, Jim. Just make sure it's with the blue and white, please. Oh, <laughs> blue Carlton, no, Carlton no, kangaroos. No. The hoops. The hoops. A couple of quick questions just yes. to end on, Jim. Uh, I'm just going to fire these ones at you and don't feel any pressure to answer Ooh. this one uh, in any particular way. Who's the best player at Geelong you played with through your time? Oh, I've got like a 10-way tie. <laughs> is that all right? You've got to reduce it to at most three. All right. Well, Cameron Ling is number one <laughs> as far as one of the best teammates plays. Look, I find it really difficult to split uh, Gary Ablett Jr. and uh, Matthew Scarlett for me. Um, I feel bad because I'm leaving out 10 names, Corey Enright and all these <laughs> other guys. But the reason why, Gaz has been probably the best, equal best midfielder of the generation you know, one year I think he had averaged 28 and kicked 44 goals. Like That's extraordinary. Just the, And won the best. And I played with him at junior footy. So I'm biased and I think he's unbelievable. And Matthew Scarlett, for me, he's one of the few players who through an era changed the way a position was played. There wasn't too many fullbacks around who attack 
the way he does from fullback and the amount of attacking plays he launched from fullback for us was extraordinary and still playing on some of the best key forwards getting around. Look, I know old time will say there's David Dench and all this, but like in this era, he, he completely changed the way the fullback was played. Who's the best player you played against? Oh, well, normally you got them. So <laughs> um, one thing we normally, all of us were smart enough to go, oh, let him have two or three touches early. Lingy, <laughs> come pick this up for us. Oh, three. Um, now I still remember one night for us, I was in the centre bounce with you and might have been James Kelly for his first game and it was my like second or third and the Brisbane Lions had Michael Voss, Simon Black, Jason Ackermanis in the middle and Nigel Lappin standing out on the wing. And I was like, oh, which Brownlow medalist and like <laughs> champion do I play? And I played on Simon Black and there is, and you'd be one. He's unbelievable. They... They were they were godlike to us, weren't they? Because that was when I, we were super young, and they were that ridiculous well, they were, team. Well, they were everything we wanted to be. They played, you know, as we said, the game. They were hard. They were physical. They were aggressive, but they attacked the game as well. Best advice you've ever been given? A football advice? Uh, any advice? Any advice? You know, you used to. I used to love your saying. You used to give me. Yeah, bite, bite off more, more than, than you can chew, chew and chew, chew like crazy. crazy. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> it. I probably stuck with that one throughout <laughs> my career. Biggest lie the media have ever told about you certainly wouldn't have been me in the media, Jim. I wouldn't lie. But no, is is there anything that's come out and you've just gone, what? That's just oh, not there, true. There's been plenty of those. The the facts have been old. The the truth has been elaborated to to blur the lines a bit. Um, you got to be careful these days. If you call someone out for telling lies, they get offended and write another article, don't they? <laughs> You're just going to just calmly let that one go through to the keeper? Exactly. Last time you cried? Um, I'm, funny story, I find it really difficult to cry because Jamie Charman, the ex-Brisbane line player, yeah, he was all elbows and knees, swung his elbow back, I think, in the ruck but I was coming through to go third man out and he split me right open across underneath my eye and I had to have 16 internal stitches and about 15 on the outside so I had to stitch my face back to get it first but I actually broke all the tear duct in my eye and I can't physically cry out of one eye anymore so I get a bit watery eyed <laughs> and it was only recently I now that I've got a son, I get all like emotional watching movies. I never used to, and it's ruining me. Just a one-eye cryer, though. Yeah, real water. Like, <laughs> where do you see yourself in twenty years' time? Uh, hopefully, on a beach somewhere. A few kids, they're all happy, starting to grow up, and you know, watching their sport or whatever they do choose to go in life. Just being a very passive parent on the sidelines. Sounds very nice, Jim. Last one. Final word, if you could change one thing about footy, what would it be? Oh, geez. Um, it's a pretty good game, isn't it, really? Oh, look, if we, I'd love for it just to go back to maybe and call it like an 18-round season. Everybody plays each other once. Once and, one, and you get to choose one rivalry that you get to play twice. Okay. Like and then finals. Because I just I feel you put every egg into every basket for each game because if you lost the first three, you're in serious trouble. I like it, Jim. I could sit here and talk with you all day, but I'm going to have to let you go and have to finish this up. 300 games, three premierships, Brownlow medal, Norm Smith medal, a true Geelong legend and a great friend. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Cameron. Talking footy